Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to start by recounting a story that we've already heard. Um, so our speaker, guest speaker, Glenn Lim, came to uh, talk to us on Easter Sunday. And he recounted how when he was growing up, he lived in the shadow of his younger brother. Glenn Lim was a ruffian. He was a paikia. He was in gangs. His younger brother did well in school. So he told this story, right, of how he was at the reunion dinner. As parents were praising the brother to high heaven, saying him, you eat more, eat more. And he was so fed up, he took the whole dish, poured it on his brother's plate, and said, you so clever, you eat, uh, eat some more. And he walked out. Not just from the dining table, he walked out on his family. And the next time, the family got together with him there to eat. 20 years later, his own wedding dinner. And Glenn's father leaned over at that dinner and said to him these healing words because the relationships had healed. He said, son, I am so proud of you. So proud of you. The title of today's message is Real Proud. Now this is music to our ears, right? We hear it from our parents, our family members uh, because it talks about affirmation about delight. And it's so life-giving to hear somebody say, I'm proud of you. But there's a kind of pride as we continue our sermon series in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, again today. Uh, it's the opposite of life-giving. It's the opposite of healing. This kind of pride comes out of a heart that needs to be healed by God. And you recall that two weeks ago, Pastor Kirk uh, brought us a wonderful overview of Daniel chapter 4, telling us how God deals with us justly, graciously, redemptively. And this was a God's eye view of Daniel. Today we will take a man's eye view and we will look deeper into our own hearts and we will be examining the issue of pride. How do we know that pride is one of the themes in the chapter? Well, you read the scriptures, if you look at the start and end, normally that's a clue. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. I just encourage us to open up our Bibles. Every time the word of God is preached, uh, because it helps us to remember. And when we go back home, we can recount, all right? And we can reflect further. So shall we just look at Daniel 4.37 together? And we read it together, honoring God's word on the count of three. One, two, three. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Now today, I don't want to just treat the issue of pride with platitudes, like, oh, Christians shouldn't be proud. Che, that one everybody also know. But it doesn't help us, right, to stay at that level. It doesn't help our spiritual journey. And we want to, by God's grace, probe deeper theologically, emotionally. I want to touch some emotions today. And this is the main idea I want to uh, unpack for us. 
And that's ungodly pride makes us self-absorbed. It closes us off from God, closes us off. But godly humility opens our lives to God's goodness and grace. Now, before we appreciate the, the solution, right, which we'll come to at the end of the sermon, which is humility, we must first understand the problem. Otherwise, the solution doesn't make sense. We need to take a real good, hard look at pride. And we will use the scriptures to help us in this reflection. So what exactly is pride? Now, I wonder if you, you have kind of like observed uh, that in the world that we live in, uh, pride is not always seen as a problem. Uh, in fact, when we, we study our world, we understand it through the lens of a worldview. Our general worldview now is secular, it's liberal, it's individualist. We, we got this from the West, right? Very individualist, focusing on the self. And in this worldview, pride is more of a friend than a foe. That's my hypothesis. So I checked out my hypothesis with ChatGPT. Okay, so I asked ChatGPT, can you give me 10 titles for a talk about being proud? Okay, so I save you the hassle. I shortlist the four best ones for you. First, the power of pride. How to embrace your accomplishments. Pride, the key to unlocking your full potential. Being proud, celebrating your unique journey. Embracing your pride, overcoming self-doubt and insecurities. Now, it's very fascinating because out of all 10 titles that ChatGPT gave me, not a single one was negative about pride. Not a single one said, oh, there's, you need to control your pride a bit. There's dangers associated with pride. None of that. But just look at these, these uh, titles. So, unlocking your full potential. That sounds really good, isn't it? Celebrating your unique journey. Who won't want that? Overcoming self-doubt. So you start to ask, if this is the case, right, then what's so bad about pride? Why is it a problem? Okay, now I want you to again look at the screen and look at all four statements. Besides the word pride, what is a common or repeated word? Anyone? Your. See, from a Christian worldview, pride is all about I, me, and myself. Right? It can be defined, pride can be defined as fixing ourselves at the center of our lives. And Daniel chapter 4 gives us a stunning picture of this kind of self-absorbed pride. So let's dive in, all right? Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. We see the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. All right, this is a view from his bedroom. He's lounging in his palace. Uh, and as you can see, it's a grand palace. He's successful He's powerful. He's supremely powerful, in fact. He's on top of the world. But strangely, for such a powerful man, resting in his own chambers, he's disturbed. He's anxious. By what? By a dream. And you say, hey, this, if you've read Daniel, right, deja vu a little bit. You know, we've seen a dream before, but this dream is different from the first dream we encountered in Daniel 2. Uh, this dream is not of him as a man or a statue, but of a tree. It's a glorious tree planted in the middle of the earth, a tree that is so tall, its tops reach to the heavens. And it's so tall, everybody can see it. Everybody knows about the tree. But here's the thing, it's not just a tall tree. 
It's a great tree. It's a good tree. Uh, all the birds of the air, the animals come. They are nourished by its fruit. It's a lovely picture. Now, the dream reminds us of an earlier story. I want to, to kind of link this for our learning here. It happened, this story happened in the same place, the land of Babylon. And in this story in Genesis 11, a, a group of people came together to carry out a wonderful project. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed throughout the whole earth. We see here a great tower, and in Daniel 4, a great tree. And both, notice, have their tops in the heavens. They are really tall. And both symbolize pride. Look at what it says in uh, verse 4 here. Let us make a name for ourselves. So earlier I asked, what's so problematic about pride? From a Christian worldview, this is it. It's this self-exaltation. Now you might ask, hey, is it wrong to feel proud of a good job done? I don't think so. Is it even wrong to feel proud of certain accomplishments you have, like that you've done something and there's some success, you feel gratified, satisfied. Is that wrong? I'd say not so. And today we say to all the mothers here, we are real proud of you. Real, real proud. Is that wrong? I don't think so. What's wrong is really this idea of exalting the self. And we see this in Daniel 4. So back to our passage. Nebuchadnezzar probably wished that this tree, uh, the tree dream would have ended right there. But sad to say that was just the beginning of the dream. An angelic messenger comes, says, Chop down the tree, leave it at the stump. And Daniel, who is Nebuchadnezzar's most skilled interpreter, comes to deliver this warning. And I paraphrase a bit. He says, O king, I really wish it were not the case, but you are this tree. You will be chopped down. You will lose your royalty, your sanity, your dignity, everything. Now, applying a little bit of uh, humorous imagination, he might have said, O king, now you think you're divine. Soon you will be bovine. O king, now people kowtow to you. Soon people will come to you and say, Hey, you're a cow. Of course, Daniel wasn't so rude, huh? Right? But he did warn the king. He said, King, there's a way that you can avoid this terrible fate. You come before the high king of heaven. And you do what he would have you do. Rule righteously. And you see, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, got a very precise, very sharp forewarning. Like for myself as a parent, we sometimes parent this way. We, we give our child logical consequences, right? They say, if you are going to persist in this behavior... Right? and you do it five more times, this is what's going to happen to you. And we expect that the consequence is going to change the behavior. Sometimes it works. In the case of Nebuchadnezzar, right, it totally failed. And you would think logically, right, as the king, right, trying to preserve himself, his empire, he would do everything, at least panic for a while. Right? But he didn't. He sat on it for a whole year, willfully ignore the warning. And if we look at Daniel 4.29, run your, your fingers down in your Bibles down to Daniel 
This is a key verse. It tells us that at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now, not only did he not humble himself before the king of heaven, Nebuchadnezzar gloated out loud in self-admiration. Now, we look at this and we're like, we're probably more inclined to condemn him, throw stones. But before we do that and we call him a proud peacock, let's just be a little bit self-reflective because I believe the same pride shows up in our own lives. Let's see what he has said here. Is this not great Babylon which I have built? It's driven by my effort. This life I have, this kingdom I have, I did it all which I have built by my mighty power. It's my energy, my skill, my resources as a royal residence. The outcome is my enjoyment. This is my luxury home. My GCB, plus, 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 plus. The goal is my exaltation because he says it's for the glory of my majesty. This guy was real proud. But here's the loving question, the hard but loving question. Brothers and sisters, are we real proud? Are we self-absorbed, self-obsessed? Now we see when our ego is inflated, here's what happens to, to us. Our ego is overinflated, our vision is overshrunk. Because all we can see is ourselves. We cannot see God, we cannot see other people. We have no space for anyone or anything else. That's pride. Allow me to give us two quick reflections about pride. Now, the first is that we don't have to appear arrogant and puffed up like this puffer fish uh, in order to be proud. In fact, it is, let me say this carefully and humbly and sensitively, it's possible to be struggling with low self-esteem struggling with self-condemnation, to appear humble, but actually still be proud. Why? Because even if we say to ourselves, hey, please, I'm not like Nebuchadnezzar. I have no palace. I have no hanging gardens of Babylon. I'm not rich. I'm not powerful. I'm not arrogant. In fact, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm a loser. See, when we beat ourselves up like that, we can still, we can still have such narrow tunnel vision. We have no space for God in our lives. Do we, do we see that? There's no space for God. It's still all about us. And when we take labels like worthless, loser, and we hold them close, what we are also saying by implication is that God, your truth about me matters less than these labels. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do that right now. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Lord says about you and me. But when we, we say we allow the labels to be more important than that truth, irony is we're actually exalting ourselves. You might feel real low, but you're actually exalting yourself. 
Now, the second reflection that I have is that our pride can often be subtle and hidden. And you might ask me, right, if, if your pride is actually so hidden, how do you know that it's there? Because every time you, you disturb it, you catch out the pride, it strikes back with, with force. Okay, the picture I have on the, on the slide is of a black mamba. It's a snake that is found in Africa. It is very deadly. Now, when it's hiding in the leaf litter, it's almost invisible. Oh, but if you try to disturb this snake, uh, it will come at you with such speed, you cannot outrun a black mamba. And black mambas have been known to chase people down the street to attack them. You know how pride can be like that? It gives us a very uh, cute visual uh, picture of what pride can look like. Uh. We can attack people with that kind of force and venom as well when our pride is wounded. You know, when, when you're at home and we spend like half a day doing stuff for the home, you know, keeping home, and our spouse comes back, not a word of appreciation. Wow, big take, right? We can feel really angry. Or if you're at work and you just completed a big project, a lot of the, the, the work was done by you and there's, there's not enough reward, not enough recognition. Oh, we, we boil, we boil within. You know, I know this feeling well because I struggle with it too. I, I want you to know that your leaders, your, your pastors, we struggle, we're human. We are human. Okay, so I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story. This is the good part of the story. The good part is that I graduated from Trinity Theological College last May. One year already, thanks be to God, Okay. Uh, and it was really hard, uh, and especially the first sem. Uh, it was about 13 years since I had left uh, tertiary education, so getting back to the books was difficult. Uh, one of the classes we had was New Testament studies. How many of us love to open up the New Testament, to read the New Testament about Jesus and the church? Yes. So it was a class I was looking forward to, and the first assignment uh, uh, for this class, it was a, an assessment. It was a quiz. And my lecturer said, hey, don't worry, guys. The quiz is very simple. 15 multiple choice questions. Each one, two marks only, okay? And preparing for a quiz, very simple. You just read this textbook. I put it up on the slide so you can see. David D. Silver's Introduction to the New Testament. It's only two inches thick. It's a, <laughs> At least it's not four inches thick, right? Praise be to God. So I was like, oh, I better study. Okay, study, 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 make notes, pages and pages of notes. The day of the quiz, I have a friend who texts me early, early. She says, hey, I'm panicking. I study already. Cannot remember a single thing. Eh? So I said, okay, never mind. Good Christian brother. You meet me in college at the benches, right? I share my notes with you. I give you tuition, lah, free. Okay, we do revision. 10 minutes into my very generous tuition session, she stops me and says, hey, you shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm like, huh? You're so rude. I say, what's, what's wrong? She said, your notes are confusing me even more. I was so angry, you know. Like, I could have slept half an hour more. I came for you, then you scold me some more. Okay, never mind. You went to class, did the quiz. Teacher says, exchange scripts, mark for each other. Guess who got the higher score? Yeah, I got 13 out of 15. Not bad. 26 out of 30. This girl uh, who had the cheek to scold me, 
14 correct, eh? 28 out of 30. I was so upset. I tell you, we were sitting in the same row in the lecture theater. The whole time, wow, I cannot look at her face anymore. I just turned my face the other way. Cannot look her in the eye. Kid you not, nah? actual thing. Sounds very funny now, but it was true. It really happened. Okay. And then I was looking at my lecturer and I saw his mouth move. Like, he continued talking for the rest of the lecture, delivering his lesson. But I was like, wow, open, close, open, close, open, close. I couldn't hear a single word he was saying, you know, for the rest of the two hours. I couldn't learn a thing. Then after that, I was still angry, so I stormed off. I went to the beautiful TTC chapel. Because of all days that day, I had to be the chapel pianist. I can't even go home to South. I have to stay back for duty. So, okay, never mind. Prepare, prepare. And right there, right there, my friends, the Lord met me. He brought me to a familiar place. It's a place that might be familiar to you too. It's called the place of repentance. And he was really putting his finger, hey, what's going on here? What's this class about? This class is about the New Testament. It's the Word of God. It's about getting deep in the Word. This sister who comes to us for help, what's that about? Oh, it's about loving and serving somebody else for whom our Lord died. What did I make it about? I made it about two measly marks. All the parents can laugh now. Right? You know what that feels like. Right? You see your child's report book. Two measly marks. See, this pride, this pride is an issue that God is still working in my heart. That happened some four years ago, pre-pandemic, when the world was different. But God is still doing a work in my heart. And of all things, multiple choice quiz. Eh? <laughs> what is God using to deal with your heart? Ungodly pride makes us self-absorbed and closes us off from God, but godly humility opens our lives to God's goodness and grace. My friends, what is God using in your life? And where is he placing his finger? Now, if he's placing his finger on your life, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to hurt, it's going to feel like surgery without anesthesia. Right? Why? Simple reason. Pride, by definition, doesn't want to be exposed. So, of course, it's going to hurt. But I lovingly urge you, don't push God's hand away. Because this is the antidote, you see. If there's the black mamba and it's venom, this is the antidote. God wants to open us to experience his freedom, his power, his grace, his goodness as we humble ourselves before him. Let's think about humility. Now, the theologian Richard Foster, uh, he wrote a book called Prayer, and I got it from this book. Uh, and he has this to say about humility. Humility means to live as close to the truth as possible. The truth about ourselves, the truth about others, the truth about the world in which we live. And I'll add to this definition the truth about God. You see, my friends, humility is not about thinking lowly of ourselves. Let's, let's correct that perception today. Humility is thinking rightly about ourselves, accurately, realistically. Who has God made you to be? Who are you in Christ? Now, Foster goes on to say, humility is in fact filled with power to bring forth life. 
And the word itself comes from the Latin humus, which means fertile ground, hence the picture. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor for what God can do in our life? That fertile ground for God's work to take root in our life, to bear fruit, for our lives to be open to God and His grace. Now, Foster's quote really resonates with a New Testament passage that I want to lead us to think about. And this passage has given me much comfort over the years. And there's something to take away from today. You can go back, okay, put your, your bookmark on 1 Peter 5. Go back and chew on these verses, please. Pray over them and act, act on them. Right, so we're going to just read that. You can turn in your scriptures, but I put it on the screen uh, from the second half of verse 5. Let's read together again, honoring God's word on the count of three. One, two, three. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, when we humble ourselves uh, before God, we open our hearts to God's grace. Look at the reason why uh, Peter calls us to clothe ourselves. We are, we are, we're clothed uh, with humility like, like a cloak, like a coat that I'm wearing now. And the reason is that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But think about it for a minute, right? Why does God oppose the proud? Is it because he is spiteful, vindictive? No, the answer is actually very logical. It's because the proud oppose God, you see. And why does God give grace to the humble but not the proud? Again, very logical. Because the proud say, God, you can keep your grace to yourself. Thank you very much. I can handle it on my own. I would rather handle it on my own. And they can't receive the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, I just want a show of hands. How many of us want to receive more of God's grace in our life? More grace for our families? Just put your hands up if that's you. More grace for our, our family life, our work, our ministry. Whatever it is that God calls us to do, all of us want that. Here's the good news. Here is the promise in 1 Peter. God will give you grace. The humble will receive grace because the humble know they need it. They're hungry for God. Now, today is Mother's Day. I want to tell you the story of an inspiring mom who humbly sought and received God's grace in her life. This is Pastor Catherine's mom. Pastor Cat, if you recall, spoke to us here at East some weeks back. And this morning, she's actually speaking again at Bukit Panjang Centre. This is her mom, Madam Wan. Madam Wan accepted Jesus in her 50s. Now, she did have a lot of the privileges that you and I kind of take for granted, to be quite honest. Right? She, she had only primary three education. You know, but she didn't allow that to stop her from reading the scriptures. One week, kid you not, uh, one week after she came to Christ, she finished reading the entire New Testament, primary three education. Many of us, we open the scriptures, we're like, ah, struggle a bit, give up. But she persevered. She was so humble, so hungry for God. There was this devotion bag you see on the slide. 
Uh, she had it next to her breakfast table and every morning she would open it and it would be her time with God. You know, in the, the later years of her life, Madam Wan had dementia. And many of the routines she had in her life uh, were forgotten, as you would expect with somebody with dementia. But this, this was not forgotten. It's really amazing. Even until the last week before she passed on, she was still reading the scriptures. You know, just imagining it, I've never met Madam Wan myself, but just imagining it, it's something like her coming to the Lord, saying, Master, speak to me. I want to hear your voice again. Because for eternity and eternity and eternity, I will be hearing your voice. She was preparing herself for her true home. And she received grace upon grace upon grace in seasons of illness, suffering. Friends, in humility, we receive the grace of God. But you see, there's also a second blessing that when we humble ourselves before God, we, we open our hearts to enjoy His peace. Because Peter tells us that when we come under God's mighty hand, He exalts us at the proper time. This means He blesses us in His way, His timing. Now, when we can accept this with joy, with trust, we will have peace. When we cast all our anxieties on him, we have peace. Now, just a little bit of Greek today. The Greek word translated cast carries the metaphor of throwing. Okay? When we cast our worries on God, we throw them on him and trust that he will catch. Now, I invite our center overseer, Pastor Matthew Lowe, to stand because he used to play Aussie rules football. Okay? And I have full confidence that he can catch this as I throw. I have less confidence in my ability to throw it to him. Okay, so here we go. Ah, that was better than the first service. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Well done. <laughs> he, we are real proud of him for catching a foam ball. Okay. Now, there's a second part of this metaphor, right? Where instead of thinking of throwing, we think of transferring. We can transfer our cares, our anxieties to the Lord. It's a bit like how we take our phones, you use your apps, you transfer money to one another after lunch, right? Except this is not pay la, it's pray la, okay? Now, whether you think of throwing or transferring, we have to get this. Don't miss this. Now, if I had held that ball in my hands, was unwilling to let it go. The ball will never reach him. But in, in the same way, right? How do we cast our cares on God when we can't let go of them? We have to surrender control. We have to humbly and gratefully accept that this is the God who cares for me. And he's got this. He's got this. Today, are we willing? Are we willing to accept this? Are we simply willing to accept this truth? I'm going to draw our time to a close. And I want to get us to prepare to respond spiritually to the Lord. I believe God is knocking on the door of our hearts. You see, God is a gentleman. When he knocks on the door of our hearts, he doesn't budge in. He doesn't use a battering ram. 
if you keep the door closed, it will stay closed. Now, some of us may be hesitant to open our hearts to God this morning. You may hear all this and say, I've heard sermons about pride before. You might even feel resistant. You just don't want. Let me humbly and sensitively suggest why that might be the case. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, it's because there's no felt need for God. Whereas the difference between a felt need and a real need, we all really need God, whether you believe it or not. But the feeling, the felt need could be different. So the felt need could be like this. Actually, our lives are going quite well. Career is okay. Going smooth. We are enjoying some success. Family uh, is well taken care of. We are financially comfortable. Relationships are peaceful, harmonious. Children are doing well. We have many things that we want and we have everything that we need. So where's the space for God in that? Actually, we don't really feel that we need God. And if that's you, I'm not saying this judgmentally, okay? If that's you and you can even articulate and recognize, I don't feel I need God right now. That itself is a grace because God is shining His light there. But you know, Nebuchadnezzar probably felt the same way. Right, in Daniel 4, 4. Let's look at the, the details in this verse. It says that he was at ease in his home, prospering in his palace. Now this guy was the supreme ruler of Babylon, world empire. And he was called the Lion of Babylon. This was his royal picture. This was an actual uh, picture that was found near the Ishtar Gate in the old city of Babylon. And this was a picture of the king. In other words, he was the OG Lion King, okay, before Disney came. Now, I love the Lion King. Uh, I watched in the cinema when I was 11. There's this line in the movie where Lion King, Mufasa. How many of you have watched Lion King before? You know who's Mufasa? The guy who gets trampled by all the wildebeest, right? He is sitting on a cliff with his young son and his deep, booming voice says, Everything the light touches is our kingdom. Right? He says that. And that line is totally true of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, standing where he was at his palace, everything the light touches was his kingdom. Now, he's super secure. He's won his military victories. He has vanquished his enemies. Super rich. He has every resource to deal with every problem. So... Where's the space for God to speak to this guy? How on earth is God going to get through to him? Well, you say it was the dream and Daniel's warning, but how long did that attention last? Men and women of God is just like us, right? God gets our attention, then we forget. We go along our merry way. It was for a short while only. What really changed him? It was when God completely took away everything he was leaning on. That was when his heart changed. You might say, hey, this guy was, had everything flourishing in life and God stripped him of his dignity and made him an animal. Was that cruel? Is that cruel? My friends, this is not the cruelty of God. This is the grace of God. This is the relentless grace of God. God refused to let him go, refused to leave him alone. 
refused to leave him in his sin. Here's the difficult question I want us to ponder as we close. What would it take for God to get your attention? What would it take for God to get your attention, your heart? Tell you a story. For Dr. Mok Ingren, it took a crisis. I don't know Dr. Mok personally, uh, but I've read about him in the news. And recently I saw his testimony on Salt and Light Media. He shared it in another church. It was reproduced in full. So I actually reached out to him on Instagram to get his permission to share it with all of you today. Now, Dr. Mok is now an orthopedics specialist. Uh, but 10 years ago, 2013, he was a champion marathon runner, triathlete. Sea Games 2013, he was winning gold in both events. Flying high in life. He had in endorsement deals, as you can see, Pokari Sweat, right, from all kinds of sporting brands, insurance companies even. And in 2015, he took a year off. He said, I'm going to go to the US. I'm going to train. I want to qualify for the Olympics. And we could have had a Singapore uh, Olympic runner. Uh, in the marathon. But, but one month into his training, he had a pain in his right knee. And then everything fell apart. So he, he went to the doctor, got lots of MRI scans done, got therapy, spent thousands. But in the end, there was no Olympics. Couldn't qualify. He couldn't even qualify for the 2015 SEA Games. So he was a broken man, very disappointed. And what's worse, all the sponsors, you're acting like that. Huh? Once you stop winning, nobody cares. The sponsors dropped him. And he was no longer winning his prize money in the five figures. So... Imagine with me, uh, if you're in a place like that, down in the dumps, how would you feel? God reached out to this man. His friend brought him to church, and it didn't happen right away, but over time, God exposed, unearthed, excavated, found the black mamba inside his heart, and showed him that the pride uh, that was in there <laughs> Was, was really holding on, clinging on so tightly to all these, these worldly accolades and affirmations and was really hiding what was truly, truly his need to deal with the sin in his life. And eventually, Dr. Mock gave his life to Christ and his life was turned around. I, I want to share with you this quote. Maybe you want to snap a picture of it. This is all online. It's public information. He said, uh, the reality is that I was good at running marathons. But the truth is that I've always been running the wrong race. Now that my Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed my life, my deepest desire is to complete the race that he has set before me and to meet him at the finish line. Friends, do we want to meet the Lord at that finish line? See, he turned away from the pride that closed him off from God. And he stopped running the wrong race. And then he humbly opened his life to the grace of God. See, at that darkest moment, right, he could have, 
turn against God, right? Become bitter, shake his fist at God, saying, if you are this kind of God that pulls the rug under me, I want to have nothing to do with you. He could have done that. But he didn't. He chose to come into the arms of his Savior to change the race of his life. And now he's a brother in Christ we can be real proud of. You hear this story today. What is your response? What's your story? Come, let's bow in prayer together to respond to the Lord as the worship team comes up to minister to us. I want to first of all give us a moment of silence. Because in the noisy workshop of our hearts, we cannot hear God. And so today I want to just give us this silence to ask the Spirit to speak into our hearts. Come Holy Spirit, bring your living word to every heart here. Bring your living word, O Lord. And right now, I think some of us are sensing an area of our life that God is putting his finger on. I want you to just accept that. Say, God, I, I accept that finger upon my life. Thank you, Lord. I want to lead us in a prayer exercise. So you can look up at the screen if you can have my slide again. There's two parts to this prayer exercise. The first part is about decentering the self. So we do it together. Can you just close your eyes with me and imagine? Imagine your heart, your life is a room. And in this room is a throne. And on this throne is you. You are sitting there. Imagine that. Imagine how the throne feels like, what the room looks like. Just imagine. Now imagine that the Lord himself now steps into the room. As he comes in, the room becomes fragrant. There's a light that enters the room. And he's coming to you and he's inviting you. My child, my son, my daughter, would you step off the throne? Would you step off the throne? He doesn't whack you over the head. He doesn't shout at you. He invites you. My son, my daughter, will you Step off the throne. And now imagine yourself doing just that, getting up, taking a few steps, coming off that seat, that throne, and the Lord takes your place. He's, he sits upon the throne of your life, and he is the rightful owner of that throne. 
in decentering, we come to say to God, God, you are, you are God. I am not God. Plain and simple. We now take the next movement in prayer, which is recentering upon God. You see, 1 Peter 5 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now that the Lord is on the throne, we can cast our anxieties to Him. Do that right now. Every worry, every problem that's so big you can't solve, throw it to Him right now. Recenter upon Him. I want to speak a word to those among us today you feel unloved and unwanted. Specifically, you, you struggle with low self-esteem. Those labels I talked about, that's where you're at. You see, when we recenter upon God, we can receive this. He says, my son, my daughter, I care for you. I care for you. I love you so much that I, I put a crown on your head. I crown you with glory and grace. All oh, the labels, let the labels come down. The labels that say I'm worthless, I'm useless. God, you care for us. You care for us. Let's just stand together as we respond to God with our song. And you know, it's not that much that we need to process and overthink. We just need to give our hearts to God. Let's do that together. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.